you have these golden opportunities of power. And it's so rich because this is, these are experiences that are self-generated, right? You're not paying someone for this. You're not going to a, a doctor who's telling you what to do. No, your vagina is telling you what to do. Your breasts are telling you what to do. And that is the most important power you can ever cultivate is the information that's coming from yourself, your higher self. Welcome back to The Better Podcast with yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This show is for high-performing women who want better bodies, better minds, better relationships, better sex, and better families, and want to hear from a woman that can take the complex science and make it easy to integrate into everyday life. Every week, I'll be giving you access to world-class scientists, medical doctors, plastic surgeons, professional athletes, Olympic gold medalists, Hollywood actors, parenting coaches, sex experts, and psychologists. I am always looking to answer this question. What are the simplest things that we can do today to get better tomorrow? I am part geek, part magic, and it is my mission to be the voice for women. Let's get better together. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Better with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. This week's podcast brings you a very juicy conversation with Kim Anami. Now, before I go any further, I do feel it's important to warn you that if you are listening to this in earshot of children, young children, or anyone who you think this conversation may not be appropriate for, I would pause and save it for another time or get your headphones on and enjoy it. There is explicit language and we talk about explicit topics. So I will leave it to you to make the uh, the decision here, but there are a lot of uh, R-rated, conver- there is, this is an R-rated conversation. And just before I get into my what we talk about in today's podcast, I wanted to read you because it is such a passionate subject, I thought we should take a review from the passionate country of España, from Spain. And Madalena has left a review for The Better Podcast, and she says, Dr. Stephanie asks all the right questions to all the right people, and she knows how to listen. She's always got the latest well-researched information on health, nutrition, mindset, and relationships. The only drawback is you can't see her wonderful smile on these recordings. I love your work. Well, gracias. Thank you so much, uh, Madalena. If you're in Barcelona, gracias. I really appreciate this review. And if you feel so inclined to leave me a review or a five-star rating, I check them, as you can see, for all over the world. And I am so grateful that you think that this work is meaningful. I am really enjoying producing it. um, So keep the reviews coming and let me know how I'm doing. Okay, so on to today's show. Kim Anami, a self-described provocateur, innovator, sexual muse, pleasure savant, and illuminator. From a very young age, she knew that she was highly attuned to her own sexual energy and spiritual curiosity. She had experienced from a young age the power of sex to awaken, transform, and accelerate her journey to self-actualization. By the age of 22, she was practicing Tantra, studying Taoist philosophy, and trying to integrate those into her everyday practice. Her musings on love, life, and sex has graced pretty much every magazine you can think of. I'll read you but a sampling here. Playboy, Elle, Oprah Magazine, Marie Claire, Allure, Glamour. 
Shape, Cosmo, Flair, The Sunday Times, The Daily Mirror in the UK, Independent, Huffington Post, etc. And this conversation, ladies, and for the people who love them, this was such a juicy conversation. We talked about First, we talked about how she actually came to be on the show, which was from you, the listener. I had uh, a lot of people suggest to me that she should be on the show, and I reached out, and she um, graciously accepted. So thank you very much for that. And we talked about vaginal weightlifting and jade eggs, and we contrasted that with Kegel. So we went into the history. So we talked about Dr. Kegel, the inventor of the Kegel exercises, and why the way that we are being told to do them today is essentially useless. So we talked about that. We talked about contrasting that with the jade egg and the jade egg with weights. And then we started talking about why we as women, so many of us, especially after giving birth, we can experience things like um, organ prolapse and urinary incontinence, lubrication issues, painful sex, um, muscle pain and weakness, uh, something called rhabdomyolysis, and numbness or desensit- uh, desensitization during sex. So we talked about why our vaginas are, why are they numb? Uh, so she had a really beautiful explanation for how the vagina really does store. It is a chemical cauldron of all emotions and stores our emotions and our experiences. And we started to unpack some of the ways that we can begin to get connected to our vaginas and our power source. And that led into a conversation around uh, internal orgasms or G-spot orgasms and cervical orgasms. Uh, Many of us are told that the clitoral orgasm is the be-all and the end-all. And for her, she describes it like a sugar rush, right? It's super quick, temporary, and then you crash. Whereas a cervical orgasm, uh, she describes as this energizing spiritual gateway to connect with your higher self. So she talks about the um, Taoist points that are energetic meridians that run through the cervix, how we can begin to have cervical orgasms with our partner, how we can also begin, if we are not with a partner, how we can begin to self-explore and start to open up and release tension that might be uh, living within the vagina and at the cervix. And of course, you know, the cervix is the gateway of life, right? It's open during birth. It's open during ovulation. Um, so having an orgasm uh, is a way to clear out old residue in there. So we talked about cervical orgasms, how to stimulate uh, the cervix, uh, which is different than uh, potentially stimulating the, uh, the clitoris. And then we moved into a conversation around... Um, breast massage. So as we are disconnected from our vaginas as women, we also talked about getting connected to our breasts and the relatively difficult relationship that I think most women have with our breasts. We are either covering them up if we're very well endowed or you know we're trying to augment them if we think that we're too small, we cut them off, we fetishize them, we, you know, they're objectified, et cetera, et cetera. So we talked about this idea of the breast being an extension of the heart and how to start to massage our bodies, in particular our breasts, so that we can harness our sexual power, begin um, improving lymphatic drainage, and in her opinion, that you can lift tone and enlarge the breast through this technique that she talked about. And honestly, even if it does none of those things, even if it doesn't tone, lift or enlarge, I think as a means to move the stagnant energy is is really wonderful. So we talked about that. 
And then we also talked about women who have had a history of sexual trauma. So um, most women in my, in my experience have some sort of trauma, physical, emotional, sexual. So how we can begin to process, you know, we can't change what has been done, but what are some of the ways, like our responsibility now, what are some of the ways that we can process it, move through it, and then release it? And then we started talking about the biggest turn on that women have, like a, a woman's biggest turn on. And the um, opposite of that would be the, uh, our men. What is the biggest turn on for men? So we had a really great conversation around that. And then we ended by her best tips on how to have the best sex ever. So this was such a juicy conversation. Kim is a joy to interview. She's so funny. And I really love the stance that she has on female sexuality. I think for far too long, we have repressed our sexuality. We've been afraid of it. Um, And I talk about this in social, and I talk about this with my private one-on-one clients, this idea of having big ovary energy. She calls it big tit energy. I call it uh, BOE, big ovary energy, uh, very much aligned. So without further ado, please enjoy this juicy, titillating conversation with Kim Anami. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you on here today. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's so, uh, it's funny. I have to tell you um, the origin of me reaching out. We were uh, on the podcast. We have a feature called uh, Ask Me Anything or AMAs. And I was talking about menstruation and right around the time of ovulation, you know, if you don't want to get pregnant, um, you, you know, you can have sex and other, other, other types of sex other than penetration. And I made sort of this offhand comment. I said, oh, you know, but that's a different guest. That's a different topic. That's a different show. <laughs> and literally the, the podcast, we dropped the podcast and I had, I can't, I can't even tell you how many people are like, you know, who would be really great for that? Kim Anami. So I looked you up and I was like, okay, any woman that can lift a surfboard with her vagina needs to be on the show. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So you have a really, really big fan base and this is an audio podcast. So I can certainly put, you know, a picture of you, like the picture that you have on your website with you lifting a surfboard. Let's, let's talk about what vaginal weightlifting is. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know how you came to it and why, in your opinion, I mean, you have all these pictures all over the, you know, you're lifting an Oscar, you have, you know, a you know, you have this beautiful crystal that you're holding, you know, you have all these, um, artistic photos, but why is it important in your opinion for women to be able to lift things with their vagina? Yes. Well, as you mentioned, just for the record, my vagina did win an Oscar, the best supporting vagina Oscar. (laughs) So look, everybody's heard the expression and the advice to do your Kegels, right? We've probably all heard that since we were teenagers. And we define that as, as sort of random clenching of the vagina, or maybe a certain sequence of clenching of the vagina. And yet the great irony is that the actual exercise that Dr. Kegel invented in 1947, so he had a practice where women were suffering from urinary incontinence, much like they do now, at a very irregular rate, as in a very normalized rate. And he 
I mean, like Yale University says that right now, up to 60% of women have urinary incontinence issues, and 50% of women post-childbirth have some form of pelvic organ prolapse, or POP, which are really awful, terrible, ridiculous statistics. And I mean, they're true, but I'm saying that they shouldn't be true. You know, the fact that they're true is just ridiculous. So the exercise that he created to help women get back in touch with their pelvic floors and strengthen them involved putting a device inside the vagina called a Kegel perineometer. And so women would clench and contract and use this device because it was important to have a device inside the vagina for resistance and for feedback. Right? I've seen pictures of you at the gym. Why do you go to the gym? You go to the gym to lift weights for resistance and feedback. If you just flapped your arms and legs around in the air and went, whoa, what a workout. Boy, I worked hard today. People would laugh at you because it's ridiculous. And that's the exact same thing with practicing vaginal strengthening without anything inside the vagina. So when Kegel was introducing this exercise and this practice into his work, he had a 90% success rate in reversing urinary incontinence with women. And then for some reason, this exercise got modified. So, you know, other doctors began to use the exercise, but they forgot the crucial point of putting something in the vagina. And so they just told women to go and flap their vaginas at random in the wind. And so immediately the success dropped by 50% and women are in the place they are now, which is, you know, where it's become normalized to pee your pants or to have your vagina fall out, you know, and people think that's normal. Oh, you had a baby. Oh, you're just, you know, no, it's not normal. It's become normalized. It's normal to be able to shoot ping pong balls with your vagina. That is the healthy, normal baseline for every single vagina on the planet. Peeing your pants, not normal. So my whole campaign, so I studied, I've been studying Taoist and tantric philosophy and techniques for the last 30 years. And part of the Taoist practice is 5,000 years ago in ancient China, women used jade eggs. So this is a stone. They become so popular now, courtesy of my vagina and these campaigns that we'll get to in a moment. But it's a stone, you know, of jade carved into the shape of an egg. It goes inside the vagina, just like the original Kegel perineometer. And then you do these exercises with the device in the vagina. And then you can gradually increase the weight so that you buffer up the resistance and the feedback. And that's how we not only strengthen the vagina to do things like eliminate urinary incontinence and the whole pelvic floor gets strengthened and reverse or prevent POP, but we have that reconnection to that part of our crucial anatomy and energetic connection. And so we lubricate more easily. We have more sensation and pleasure. So then our libido goes up. We have better quality orgasms and we can create more sensation for a male partner as well. So I was doing these practices in my work. Women would come to me kind of shamefully like, you know, Kegels don't really work for me. And they felt like they were the only woman, that this was some problem that they had. And after hearing this over and over again, I realized they don't work for anyone. They never worked for me. The egg worked for me using the jade egg. You know, I would use the jade egg a few sessions and partners would be like, what did you do to your vagina? <laughs> like your vagina feels different. They would notice a difference immediately. And so then I began teaching the jade egg and then seeing these remarkable results, like women who would have 
who had, say, incontinence for 20 years, right? They had to wear a pad to go running. They were terrified to go on a trampoline doing the jade egg work. They had it completely gone. Their urinary incontinence was totally reversed. And so that really buffered up my passion about this whole process because obviously it worked. And so many women were suffering from this. And so I began teaching more classes in it. I took it online. And then because I believe that sexual energy is creative energy. This is our life force energy. And if we're not creating babies with it, then we can channel this energy out into the world, into our creative projects, into our work, into our families, as parents, everything that we do can be, have this energy infused into it. And so I'm a very creative person. All of the marketing campaigns, all of the copywriting for all of my work comes from me and my vagina, hashtag powered by vagina. And so I came up with this idea <laughs> that was kind of like a mix between you know that garden gnome meme where people steal someone's garden gnome and then they travel around the world with it and they take photos of it in front of the Eiffel Tower or the Leaning Tower of Pisa and I was like what if I could do something like that around vaginal weightlifting and call it hashtag things I lift with my vagina and I would travel lifting objects indigenous to various regions with my vagina to show people what a vagina really ought to be able to do. Right. And so I began this campaign back in 2015 and it went super viral. Right. And so there's pictures of me lifting a chandelier of Murano glass in Italy in Venice. And there's photos of me at the Berlin wall, lifting a piece of the Berlin wall at the great wall of vagina, AKA the Berlin wall. (laughs) So I've had a blast with this campaign. I have so enjoyed this and it's been able to then convey this message worldwide that this is what a healthy, voracious, you know, functioning, high functioning vagina is able to do what every woman is capable of doing. And this is what I refer to as the Anami guarantee that everyone can. This isn't just a skill set reserved for some special people or some gifted people. No, with the right tutelage and skills, every single person can do these things. And that's why I make a comment like ought to be able to grip and articulate and sensate rather than be this numb passive entity, which is what most women have is a numb vagina. Both your lack of exercise, proper exercise through internalized trauma and internalized sexual beliefs and conditioning in the culture at large, bad experiences, all of these things get stored and internalized and then translate into a numb vagina. So my work and the idea of vaginal Kung Fu is not just teaching someone how to do physical exercises with the egg, but also incorporating emotional, spiritual, psychological, energetic healing of their whole sexual organ. Gets, right? Because I believe that the best healing takes place multidimensionally, not just, it's kind of like a diet, right? Or losing weight. You wouldn't just go, we know for most, the most part, you wouldn't just go on a crash diet for four weeks to lose 10 pounds. Like, no, you would look at your eating habits, your lifestyle, your exercise. Do you reach for food psychologically, right? When you're feeling empty and you want to fill a void, all of these components translate into long lasting and permanent change. So the same thing is applied to this work is that it's for me always multidimensional. I love everything you're saying here because I think that there are so many women. I can't tell you like I've I've been to you mentioned the trampoline. I've been to you know trampoline parks with my kids and I remember, you know, just taking like a silly video of me kind of jumping around doing whatever on the trampoline. And I had so many of my mom friends reach out to me and they're like, "Oh my god, if I did that, I would need a pad or I would completely pee myself." 
And I hate this idea. I mean, first it, it makes me sad, but I hate this idea that, okay, once you become a mom, you just have to, you can't jump. Like you can't, you know, you can't do things that, you know, lift your, like you can't lift your body weight. So I love everything you're saying. And there's something that I just wanted to tease out and maybe double click on. You talked about, um, the idea of desensitization and numbness. And when we are not connected to our vagina, you said, you know, things like organ prolapse and uh, urinary incontinence and uh, lubrication issues, painful sex, but the numbness in the vagina, that's something I would love for us to go a little deeper on. Because I think that that is something that most women are I mean, it's happening. They're not talking about it with anyone because I think there's a lot of guilt or shame or they just don't know any different. It's like, oh, no, I actually don't feel a lot when I'm having sex or, um, you know, I can't, I can't um, you know, articulate with my vagina to be able to help or to be able to play with um, my partner. So why, in your opinion, I mean, we can, we can go a little deeper, but why, in your opinion, do you think that there is so much numbness and so much desense? Like, why are our vaginas numb? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a multitude of reasons. Like, first of all, you know, they're not exercised. We're not doing a proper exercise routine. Just like any other muscle in the body, it requires exercise and conscious utilization to strengthen it and for it to function at its peak, right? And so like any other, let's say you never exercised your upper body, your arms are going to be flaccid, you know, and sort of wobbly, (laughs) not operating at their peak potential. So that's a primary reason. And I think that also, like I said, there's this whole energetic overlay in the culture that suppresses women's sexuality, right? So men have more, like everyone feels it, but men have more permission to be sexual than women do. And I believe that, you know, from this psychosomatic perspective, all of our unresolved stuff gets stored in our tissues, in our body. And so for women, that stuff gets stored in our reproductive organs. So in their breasts, ovaries, uterus, pelvic floor, and so necessarily an organ, but the area. And so through that dissociation, that's where we see in the future when women then start to manifest issues like a growth or untoward things that start to pop up in these areas. To me, that's a symbol of unresolved issues, of stuff that's been literally stuffed away into those places. And so through the use of the egg, like I said, there's this multidimensional reconnection of that part of our anatomy. I look at our reproductive organs as symbolically our creative juices, right? This is where, this is, like I said, the life force energy. This is our engine for our entire universe starting there. And so if we're cut off, we're actually operating at a deficiency, right? And this is where people can literally then get these organs cut off or cut out because they are so disconnected and cut off from these energies within themselves. So any kind of trauma, so let's say somebody's been sexually assaulted. Well, that's going, and if they haven't resolved it in a deep way and really healed it and rewired those neural pathways, then they're going to have this numbness. Their body's just going to cut off from that sensation from that memory. It's kind of like trying to isolate that that mass of cells and just shove it to the side because it's too painful than is able to or has the skills to properly deal with it, integrate it, resolve it. And so I think that's a big part of it. And there's this complete 
misinformation about female pleasure and orgasm, where women are told that the clitoris is really the be all end all, and the clitoris is the place of orgasm for women. And I say it is literally the tip of the iceberg. That is 10% of the pleasure that a woman is able to experience. All of the good stuff is in the vagina. So G spot orgasms, cervical orgasms, ejaculatory orgasms, squirting across the room, all of these things, as I said before, remember the Anami guarantee, all of these things are possible for every single woman. But what's preventing them, that's one of the reasons, is just not knowing what they don't know, being told misinformation, mostly from Western medicine, you know, and their misunderstanding or lack of understanding around the female body and sexuality that, oh, there is no such thing as a G-spot or, oh, only some women have G-spot orgasms, which is totally untrue. And so they buy this. And so they don't think of the vagina as an important place to go to or explore. They have their, say, clitoral orgasm during sex. And then maybe they basically allow their vagina to exist as a receptacle for their partner to have their pleasure and ejaculate into. But for them, they think that their pleasure lies in the clitoris. And this is completely wrong. Where the clitoris in my school of thought is just the warm up. This is the appetizer. This is a place to rev up your engine, get things glowing a little bit. And then you move into the deep, powerful, life-changing territory, the Pandora's box of the vagina. And so this is where what I call the life-changing orgasms live, the G-spot orgasm, but especially the cervical orgasm. And these orgasms are more akin to a spiritual, transcendent, higher-level rebirthing experience. The phrase, la petite mort, the little death and rebirth, is most exemplified in the terrain of the vagina. And so that's what I'm constantly messaging women and the world about is the good stuff's in the vagina. You know, put the clitoris down, <laughs> step away from the clitoris and move into the higher power territory of the vagina. And it's funny, um, just to kind of add on to what you were saying in terms of the narrative that the clit or the clitoris is everything. The excuse that I often hear is, it's only anatomically if your if your clitoris is very close to the vagina that you could ever experience a G spot orgasm. But the nerve bundle, if you actually look at it like neuroanatomically, we have the nerve bundle from the pudendal nerve that goes into the uh, that innervates the clitoris. But that is still the same nerves that go to the G spot and that that innervate that whole area. So I love what you're saying in terms of it's possible to be able to activate those nerves um, in, in, in a variety of different ways. So let, let's talk a little bit about cervical orgasms because um, you, you said, you know, they're energizing, there's a spiritual gateway to connect um, with, your, with your higher self. And I've heard you say, and I, I, I love this, that, that, that the orgasm that you experience from the clitoris is almost like a sugar high. You know, it's like you kind of get this like little quick rush and then you have, a, you know, a big... Uh, fall uh, afterwards. So, can you say more about the and uh, say more about the importance of the cervix and its uh, and its ability to have to have this life changing effect that you're talking about? 
So the cervix in Taoist sexual reflexology, they map out reflexology points in the genitals. So in the vagina, on the cock. And so the heart point for women is the cervix. So that's also connected to the vagus nerve. So it's considered to be the spiritual nerve of the body. And there's an energetic pathway coming all the way up through the heart to the top of the head, to the crown chakra. And so by opening into cervical pleasure and bliss, we access this higher state of awareness. We're actually propelled into another dimension via the crown chakra. And so the key though to this is that a woman has to be open in her heart. And so if she's having casual sex or if she's having sex with her partner and there's unresolved issues, there's blockages, there's arguments that are sort of hanging in the space, she won't get to these places because she hasn't opened her heart. And so this can be a short-term issue, meaning there was an argument at breakfast that they never really resolved. And so that'll show up in bed at night as some kind of resistance, not fully being open, or long-term issues like decades or years worth of stuff that's just been swept under the carpet for a couple and they haven't dealt with. And so there's this you know, not very connected, not very open, not very trusting, kind of barricaded energy between the couple in the relationship. And so they'll never get to those places until they clear that stuff up. So that energy of the cervical orgasm, it feels so much different than a clitoral orgasm. It's much more of a whole body, whole being high. Like I used to describe it like if you've ever taken ecstasy, that's how it feels. Like you have this utter euphoria, this sort of connection, this we are all one kind of awareness of the world. Your whole body is pleasure, not just your genitals. You feel these reverberations through every cell of your body. And these, the impact of this lasts for days. And I feel like it's even a permanent impact that you feel this sense of self-actualization. And this is how I really got passionate about this path of conscious holistic sexuality is that I had cervical orgasms very early on in my sexual history and felt that they were self-actualization. I'd been studying the work of Maslow. And so, you know, I was really aware of these terms. And I was like, I feel like I've become more of myself. I feel like the conditioning and the stuff that we pick up that's not really us that gets put onto us as humans, as individuals, as souls, just fell away. And I emerged as a more clear, centered, confident, self-owned version of myself. And that was, you know, what really threw me into this direction as well. Like my my own experiences, my, my intuition of what sex is, is so much different than what we're told. And with the cervix in particular, I consider this to be the epicenter of feminine energy, of feminine sexual energy. And for most, for a lot of women, they'll stimulate the cervix and it'll feel sore or tight or you know sharp pain there. And that's actually a sign that there's all kinds of stored trauma or energy there. And so I'm a big proponent of de-armoring the vagina and using yoni massage and the jade egg as primary tools to do that. And I have some great free videos on yoni massage on my YouTube channel that people can check out. And of course, some information about the jade egg there too. And I sell courses the jade egg but the yoni massage is all about going in there and manually releasing just like you would with a massage tight points tension points and then kind of allowing things to release and people can even in those experiences feel emotions come up and have like 
giant crying spells or even anger come out because it's all of this stored emotion that's lodged in these tissues. And by loving them and paying attention to them and touching them in a beautiful healing way, we're facilitating that release and then clearing the pathway for pleasure. And so sometimes there is, well, for most people, there is a process of unwinding and releasing any stuckness or blockages before they can access these higher states. Some people have already done a certain amount of work and so they can get there faster and other people it takes longer. I did a podcast last year called How to Have Vaginal Orgasms and it's an interview. I talk about the orgasms but I also interviewed what I call a well-fucked all-star which are people who've gone through my programs and have really had incredible changes. And this woman had never had an orgasm before, never mind vaginal, but she hadn't even had a clitoral orgasm before. And she did my Well-Fucked Woman program and then my Vaginal Kung Fu program. So in the Well-Fucked Woman, she then had a clitoral orgasm. I think she had a G-spot orgasm, but she worked on it. Like she was a mom and here's a, you know, sort of shout out to people who feel like they're too busy. <laughs> here's the, her story is she was a, a mom with a young baby. She was working full time. She had a partner and she basically used every moment she could. Her son would go down for a, down for a nap. She would go and self-pleasure and masturbate, you know, for an hour or whatever it was, right? She was on her way home from work. She would pull over the car and stop and self-pleasure for an hour or two hours or whatever she could. And she got to the other side. She then got to her G-spot orgasms and then I think a few months later, she got to the cervical orgasms because like I said, there can often be a lot more stuff to process through to clear out that space. But, you know, go and listen to that interview because she's an amazing testimonial to the fact that even if you think she thought she was one of those people who just couldn't get there. Right. And she had bought into that story and she chose to trust that I was telling the truth that, yes, she could get there. She followed the instructions and she threw herself into it. And now she's an all star. Right. She's got she has these orgasms all the time. She had an orgasmic birth with her baby experience was actually a pleasurable orgasmic birth. So these are all the sorts of things that I say ought to be normal. You know, we're in this territory time period right now where people are talking about the new normal. Well, <laughs> Let's question what we've accepted to be normal in the past and even in the present and rewrite that of what the new normal ought to be. And these are things that I'm saying, cervical orgasms on tap, G-spot orgasms on tap, vaginas that can shoot ping pong balls across the room and hit ejaculate with, <laughs> hit the ceiling with their ejaculate to have orgasmic births that are the most powerful, pleasurable orgasm a woman's ever had in her life. Let's let that be the new normal. Right. And just to put a caveat in there, because we're in this climate of blame, shame, bullshit that I call it, where there's sort of this interpretation. Oh, if you're saying that these things are possible, you're somehow shaming women for not having these experiences. And that's nothing but further from the truth. Um, I'm only shaming the people who are telling you <laughs> that you can't have these experiences because they're wrong and they're operating from ignorance and misinformation. I'm telling you that it's possible for everyone and I'm also showing you how to do it. And so to me, those other people are actually the ones who are patronizing and shaming and limiting the potential of humans where I'm telling you what's possible and how to get there. So it's not to be putting down anyone who, who hasn't had these experiences or who isn't having a certain kind of orgasm. Not at all. You know, you're just operating on information from people who didn't know any better. 
And it's interesting because when we think about female sexuality, I think that there's a lot of misogyny that comes into it, right? Like we think, well, we should be able to orgasm and climax as quickly or as, you know, or in the same way that men do. And I think, you know, in the conversations that I've had with some of my girlfriends, like they'll just feel so... um, like, you know, if, if a man is, is going down on her, like she'll feel so like, oh my God, it's taking so long. Like when's it going to happen? Like that's relatively, that is a misogynistic thought, right? Like that we can behave just like men do and we operate differently. And I love what you're saying because I think that so much, so many of us, men and women, we learn about sexuality, particularly female sexuality from porn, right? Like we learn about as teenagers, we watch uh, you know, we are curious and like the guys and girls, and we think that that's how uh, females should behave. So I, I am all for uh, defining a new normal for female sexuality. And I love that you talk about the creativity in your hips. I always, I call it big ovary energy. Like when you get like, that's, if you are able to, as a woman, create life, like you, that is the ultimate capacity that you have for creation. And if that's not something that you've chosen for yourself, like why the hell not? Why wouldn't we go and cre- and harness that energy to be able to create uh, and manifest other things in our lives? So that's, that's really beautifully said. Um, just so I, I want to just uh, ask you a few more questions about the cervical orgasms, because I know this is going to be new for uh, listeners. It is the stimulus of the cervix is different right? Than like uh, a clitoral or G-spot stimulation, correct? The stimulus? What do you mean by the stimulus? The way that you stimulate the cervix, like the positions and the mechanics, is is it different when you're trying to elicit a cervical orgasm or is it, you know, any, any position is fine? Well, I would say that every different orgasm calls for a different approach and position, right? And so, like, as you said earlier, with the clitoris, I mean, unless a woman uh, has a clitoris lined up in a certain way, like maybe it's more exposed, she's not likely to have a clitoral orgasm during intercourse, right? She's going to have to access that through a finger or through a tongue or an artificial stimulant like a dildo or or vibrator. But, um, you know, they say that 70% of women don't orgasm during sex. Well, I, I think, like, who knows what orgasm they're talking about, presumably the clitoral orgasm. Yeah. And I wouldn't expect that. I would never tell someone to try to have a clitoral orgasm through intercourse, right? Like, so there's every orgasm has its own, you know, unique set of steps and energies to get there. But yeah, the cervix is definitely a change through deep penetration. And so a couple of positions that are really good for that are doggy style or missionary with a woman's legs up high over her head. But again, you know, it's not just about jumping into those positions because if, if a woman does, she's likely to experience discomfort. She needs to be really, really warmed up with a lot of foreplay, other sexual positions first. And like I said, this de-armoring overall of the vagina. If she's not in that place, if she's not fully open and receptive and feeling surrendered, she's not going to get there. It doesn't matter if you have all the right steps and you know <laughs> the right sexual position. It doesn't matter. 
if her, this is the, the price of admission of these deeper orgasms is this level of openness, connection with the self, connection with the partner. And that's why these orgasms don't show up in labs in the same way. Like the side, and this is sort of the joke of, of the Western approach is like, they'll put some women in a lab and try to make them have an orgasm. I like, I could have an orgasm like this. If you put me in a lab, I doubt that I would be able to have an orgasm with a bunch of people staring at me with clipboards and white lab coats. Are you fucking kidding me? And yet Western science and sort of sexuality will be like, oh, well, I guess if she couldn't have one, that means it doesn't exist. They've actually put out studies like that. And that's why it's just laughable. And they're completely ignoring the whole process of emotional connection, of sexual history, um, you know, in somebody in the level of comfort they have with their own sexuality, their relationship to that, and the relationship to their partner, to their own body, all of these factors are a massive contribution to whether somebody gets there or not, minus the correct sexual position. Right. And you've talked about this idea of being able to, without physical stimulation, being able to have a climax, whether you see your partner you know, across the room or they're in a different country, like these things can happen for you. Now, of course, I, I like I've seen you, I've seen this on, I think it was on your blog. I, I pulled this out and I was very curious to ask you, you know, how I, I want you to explain that. But I also am curious to know where did you first sort of tap in to that, that you were, that you had that awareness or that connection to your partner to be able to make that happen in the absence of physical stimulation? So years ago, I was with a partner and I'd read an article. This is one of the first things I'd ever read about Tantra in sort of a new age magazine. And this is probably, gosh, like 27, 30 something years ago. And I'm with this person and in the article, it talked about how to imagine that sexual energy is a tangible energy and that we can exchange it with each other consciously. And they spoke of doing an exercise where you would imagine shooting energy into that person. So you would visualize, say, energy coming from your heart into their heart or your elbow into their knee or whatever. And so I was with my partner and I didn't tell him, but I started doing this. Like I started to flow energy or just visualize I was moving energy from one point of my body into his. And every time I would do it, he would moan. He would have this physical reaction and I wasn't touching him in those places. I wasn't you know, doing anything direct that way. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting stuff. And that was the real like stepping stone for me into this whole area or one of the stepping stones. And so, yeah, like I've, I released a podcast called Energy Sex or how to have energy sex, something like that a few weeks ago. And that's all about the idea that we can have look ma, no hands, like we can have sex and you can make love to your partner while they're on the planet. And that, you know, even in Einstein's work, the, what do you call it? The spooky, uh, the entanglement theory, spooky action at a distance, this scientific concept, quantum theory concept or quantum reality concept that one cell, when it has a relationship with another cell, even if it then gets transported to the other side of the world or on another planet, you can impact that one cell here and there will be a resounding impact in the other cell, a resonant impact. And so this is really the quantum basis of the idea that you can have sex with people through touch 
and just through energy. And I think we're, we've just been conditioned out of having this self-awareness and this internal awareness of our body, being able to really listen to our body, to our intuition. But the more tuned in we become to those things, then those, this, this activity of having sex with your partner while they're in another city becomes totally possible. Having an orgasm just by thinking about your partner or having an orgasm through having your knee touched and I can have a cervical orgasm because I've activated those neural patterns pathways in my body. And all I have to do is put my attention there and it happens. That's beautiful. I love that. I want to parse this conversation with a discussion around our breasts. And I think at our very best, I think women have a deranged relationship with our breasts. We hide them, we show them, we augment them, we cut them off, we fetishize them, we, they're objectified and like, even like we, we don't know what to think about our breasts. They're just sort of these like sacks <laughs> that hang off of our bodies. And I, I, I want to have a conversation around how we can use our breasts to harness our sexual power, no matter the size, right? Like I'm like president of the itty bitty titty committee. Like, you know, they're, they're not big, but they're fabulous. Right. And how they can amplify you know, your orgasm, how they, how they can, how you can use your breasts as not just, you know, not just, uh, sacks that hang off of your body. Can we, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I did a podcast last year called Big Tit Energy or BTE, you know, the equivalent of BDE, Big Dick Energy. And it's because I was inspired by women I've seen who have small breasts and breasts that not are even, not even small, but like basically almost non-existent and who totally owned it and didn't succumb to augmenting them or changing them in any way and didn't succumb to some kind of shame and hiding, but totally owned it, right? Like threw it out there. And I love that. And then there's also the opposite end of the spectrum. Let's say a woman who's born with really large breasts, those women can also hide and, you know, kind of, you know, want to remove even their breasts because not just because of say a physical discomfort issue, but because of the energy and all of the attention that they've brought, you know, all over the years and the, all of the, whatever accompanies that. And so both sides of the spectrum, I feel like people don't necessarily own their breasts and then whatever else in between. And so in the Taoist, um, thought, the breasts are considered to be the windows to female orgasm and a massive part and and the heart connection, right? The breasts are exemplified. Like if we have an open heart, it's like our whole chest opens up. We're, you know, walking straighter and with our chest leading our heart leading out into the world. And if people are disconnected and they've dissociated from the breasts, then they have this hunched over energy, which is also contracting in the heart. And there are six energy meridians that go through the breasts, three of which are directly connected to sexual arousal. One in particular, which is the kidney meridian, which in Taoist thought is all about the waters, right? The kidneys, urine, waters flow, juices flowing in the woman. It's massively connected to sexual arousal. So a huge problem when people cut into that tissue is that they are really impacting their pleasure potential and creating a giant interference field in these meridians, which then translates into all of their sexual function in their lives. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big proponent of breast massage as a way to reconnect with the breasts. And I have a wonderful video on YouTube on, I think it's called breast 
massage to enlarge and lift and tone the breasts. And we're actually coming out with a breast massage oil this year that I'm really excited about to facilitate this practice. Um, and then we teach breast massage in the Well-Fucked Woman Salon as well and in Vaginal Kung Fu. But look, the breast massage then helps a woman to reconnect to the breasts, opens up the flow of energy in the breasts. And my experience is that when women are really connected to that, and I'd say the practice of not wearing a bra, you know, whatever size your breasts are, not wearing a bra and allowing your breasts to have their powers restored to them as and you know when I began to really connect to those energies myself doing breast massage being in a particular relationship that really really nurtured that energy in me and the person really appreciated and spent a lot of time loving my breasts it's like they awakened in an entirely different way I felt like they became these sensors like they were picking up information in the world and bringing it back to me right and the breasts are the great alchemizers in the body they take toxins and filter them through with the lymph and then they create whatever we have and turn it into breast milk which is literally it's like manna from heaven it's the most powerful substance that we have access to right this is like gold for our babies and our children and sets them up for life if they are breastfed and so the breasts have superpowers and when women connect to that they're opening up all of their sexual energy channels and meridians helping to open the heart and then tune into, like I said, I feel like there's this extrasensory perception apparatus that's connected to the breasts. There was, um, I think it was Mean Girls. There was one of the, one of the trio. She, she would be like, is it raining? And then she would put her hands on her breast. I'm like, no, it's not going to rain today. It's going <laughs> to rain tomorrow. It's kind of like what you're saying, like with these senses. It reminds I love me that. that. Yeah. I love that. I have to go get that clip. I didn't even, I forgot oh, about that. So funny. She's like, yeah. no, no, it's not going to rain today. Um, and I love what you're saying. Like you keep coming back to this idea of the heart, right? You talk about the cervix as a point for the heart. The breasts are also a meridian. Um, with the heart. And I, I don't know if you, if you, if you, I mean, I know this is an audio podcast, but what are some of the beginner basics? Like if you were to say, you know, you know, some of the things that you discussed on your YouTube video where you go through some, of the, like if someone's like, okay, I want to actually try and, and harness this heart energy that she's talking about, what are some of the basics of breast massage that we can begin to practice at home? Um, well, first of all, I, like I said, where, if, if you feel experiment with not wearing a bra, I feel like the more women who don't wear bras, they're going to reduce that stigma of like, Oh my God, it's titties, right? Like people go nuts now if they see a nipple It's Oh my God, it's a nipple, put it away. Right. Like this weird or get an erection from seeing one. So I feel like the more women don't wear bras, we begin to normalize actually having breasts in their natural state, right? So that's one thing. If you feel like you must wear a bra, seek out a bra that's less constrictive, right? So rather than these mummifying, suffocating type bras, just wear maybe a loose tank top or a slightly fitted tank top, something that's much less suffocating for you and really begin to retune into that energy of your chest. And I mean, for breast massage, then like I love to do it in the evening when I come home at night. I always have an evening shower. I have a morning shower and I have an evening shower. And when I do my evening shower, I do my breast massage. So I have my oil and you can buy our breast oil when it comes out, but otherwise just you know, organic coconut oil is wonderful. Put some essential oils into it if you like. And then just basic kneading strokes, right? Like the, I, I go through it in the breast massage video. I demonstrate the techniques, but great basic kneading strokes that you would just like the way you're kneading bread, you know, and go like lift the breast up. And you know that 
place underneath the breast where you can often, your bra strap will kind of cut into at points. Go in there and really massage into those areas. There's a technique I have called the claw where you take your fingertips and then just press them into the breast and try to press down into your intercostal muscles and then just you know wiggle your fingers a little bit. So you're releasing any kind of stuck or stagnant energy toxins that are there and allowing them to flow and then breathe breathe deeply throughout so even five minutes a day like i said do it in the shower make it a routine do it any time of the day if you like but especially if you do wear a bra during the day then i would recommend you know when you come home jump in the shower and massage your breasts you know and release any of that energy that's been stuck there but i really encourage women to practice not wearing a bra and even if it's a see-through shirt even if people can see your nipples like big fucking deal let them deal with it you know own it right and the more that you own your and this is a concept that i talk about in the well-fucked woman is the idea that when a woman really inhabits her sexual energy and herself she begins to enter the territory of not giving a shit what other people think of her and this is actually one of the milestones in a woman's sexual journey is that because so much shame and Oh, just judgment is put upon women and their sexuality as they go through and reclaim this in themselves they start to emanate this energy of not giving a fuck right and that becomes this and they're not trying not to give a fuck they just don't give a fuck they really don't care anymore what other people think of them because there's so much in their own self and body and so in that place then you cannot wear a bra wear a bra whatever you want wear the kind of clothes you want and people's judgment their vision their their whatever it goes over your head it's like it just bounces off of you you don't notice it you've now become impervious to this and that's one of the beautiful things um, and secret power sources that lies in women really connecting to and inhabiting their sexual energy is rising above all of this stuff and really living and inhabiting their own truth. I love that. That's so wonderful. And I think for so many women, I, I, this is resonating so much with me because I think for many years, it's very heroine's journey-esque because for many years, you know, I my body was just like the vessel to bring my brain wherever it wanted, right? Like I was so disconnected from my body and it was always the, um, the, more, the pursuits that I thought I needed. I thought I needed to get a degree. I thought I needed to focus on my career. I thought that the success and the accolades and the status and the money and the, pro, you know, whatever it was, I thought that all those things were going to bring me happiness. And then when I got there, I was like, I had the degree, had the practice, you know, had a dream, like a dream practice. I was like, you know what? I'm still not happy. Like I'm still not satisfied. And the courage to follow that. And in this vein, we're talking about owning and connecting and becoming attuned with our feminine, with our, with our sexuality, I think is a gift that, I mean, only you can give yourself, but I think it is a, um, I think it is a, a rite of passage for for ever, any awakened any awakened woman. And at the end of the day, if the massage doesn't make my, you know, you said it's like lifting and making my, I don't care if it makes my breast bigger, but if it helps me with lymphatic drainage, like hey, like I'm all for that because that's so that's so exciting. It's so exciting to look at your breasts. I mean, my when I had my kids. I, I remember like my in the early days with my first son, I was like, oh my god, my breasts have worked for eight hours today. Like, 
you know, like he was feeding, you know, in those little, yeah. he was like a little yeah. monster. Like he was a little tiger, yeah. wanted all the food. And I was like, my tatas have been working for eight. Like these things are amazing. And then I think we forget for a lot of moms, I think we forget the glory of our breasts, right? Mm. The glory and the awesomeness and irrespective of size, shape, whatever. I love this idea or this concept of reconnecting and healing that relationship because I think it's so warped. And I think most women have a warped uh, relationship with their, um, with their breasts. I agree. I totally agree. And I think that there's a number of reasons, but I think maybe one of them is just that they're the most visible sign of at puberty, right? Transitioning into womanhood. And yeah. so people notice that they're looking at them and they suddenly get this energy. Women get this girls, get this energy put onto them from people. It could be even like an uncle, right? Who's just like, oh, like, you know, very uncouth and sort of staring and the little girl picks up on that, right? And they start to feel like, oh, like, you know, right? Oh, and so- For a bra, it's time to go get a bra to cover it up, right? That's yeah, amazing, exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of that energy there. And yes, I think- and it's, and all this stuff around breastfeeding and the judgment around it and how it's like totally fine to be like, oh, look at my titties. But then if you breastfeed a baby, that's considered like people actually get attacked for that. It's so warped. It's and censored. So you can't post warped. things like that on social media platforms like it's taken. Well, I think they've finally gotten permission for breastfeeding shots, but they had oh, to okay. fight for it really hard to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's very, it's very warped. And so this is the journey though. It, like you said, the heroine's journey of reclamation of our energy, of our sexual power. And as I said, like people in general, when men or women are operating at a deficiency, if they're not connected to that energy. And I'd say for women in a major way, because this is, if you think of how opposite everything is, right? Where women are having surgical births, say, versus having an orgasmic birth that's, you know, by themselves, like their own energy is, is directing that process rather than other people having to tell them what to do. Like the most natural thing in the world that women apparently can't do by themselves. The only species who can't do it by themselves or they're told that, right? And so there's all these opportunities for women to reclaim their sovereignty, to reclaim their true power that, and so much of it is in the sexual realm. You know, that's one of the major places women have been suppressed over the years. And there's so much richness there. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about trauma. This is something I wanted to come back to because you mentioned it at the, at the top of our conversation. And I think with the, with the women that I've worked with, you know, if I, if I were to give, you know, give a clinical estimate, it's a hundred percent of women have endured some sort of trauma, be it physical trauma, emotional trauma, uh, sexual trauma. And in my body work, um, I'm, I'm trained as a, as a chiropractor. So I was in physical practice for a long time working with, you know, some of the tenants around releasing and clearing the nervous system. But the, it became clear to me after a while that the physical manifestation, headaches, the low back pain, the hip pain, um, were coming from these more intangible, like the, the sexual trauma and the more intangible emotional, um, trauma. So it became a bit more of a natural evolution for me as a practitioner to not only work on the physical rehab, but once you develop enough rapport um, with your client to, to start diving into some of the emotional work that's important to clear the, um, the residue uh, 
from, because your brain has, you know, even though we know, well, that happened five years ago, your brain thinks it's right now, right? There's parts of your brain that's like, nope, it's right now. It's right now. It's right now. So there's this sort of resonance. There's this vibrational um, frequency that your nervous system is kind of always acting like, kind of like, okay, where's the attack? Where's the attack coming from? I, and I know that you talk a lot about sexual trauma and how to, and we've, we've been talking a little bit about it today in terms of, you know, the cervical orgasm and being able to clear, you know, opening up, like, you know, taking the rose apart petal by petal, you know, and taking some of those, um, deconstructing some of those things. What are, for women who've experienced sexual trauma and for the partners of those women, what are some ways that we can begin to, or the best ways that you have found to sit with it, to process that trauma and, and to, and to move beyond it? I mean, some of these gentle reintroductory techniques to become more connected again, because like we said, dissociation is probably the number one result from unprocessed trauma. So things like the breast massage and the yoni massage, partner can also perform the yoni massage. These are amazing starting places because we're just reconnecting to the places we've cut off from, right? And so at first, you know, somebody might do the yoni massage or receive the yoni massage and it feels numb. They're not feeling very much. It might be like that for a while, but have faith that as you keep persisting with it, things will unwind and relax, right? And I also sell a crystal elixir remedy called Luscious for women, and it contains a crystal called rhodochrosite, which is meant to be the most powerful healing crystal for sexual abuse on the planet. And so that remedy also works on helping to open the heart, reconnect the heart and the cervix, and for a woman to own her beauty as she's emerging out of her sexual reclamation cocoon. Um, but I think these massage places are really important pieces to start with. My whole Well-Fucked Woman program goes into deeper levels of healing and owning these pieces, but those massages are a great starting place because you're just bringing that attention, that awareness, that loving touch back, and you're encouraging release. Like, you know, Wim Hof has a phrase, he says, the issues in our tissues. And I love that because it really, I resonate with that so much with my work is that things get stored in these areas. They get stored in the places where the trauma energetically originated from. So if it was a sexual trauma, typically that began, that will be stored in the vagina. Right. And so by going in there and consciously, lovingly spending time there, again, also including a partner. So in one of my videos on YouTube, I have two yoni massage videos, one that's more directed at women doing it for themselves, one for a partner doing it on, you know, male partner or female doing it on a female. Um, And so there's, it's really about holding space, right? So as you're in these practices and spending an inordinate amount of time, like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever, with no expectation of orgasm or sex or penetration, your full intent is to facilitate openness and healing and release in whatever whatever form it is. And if, let's say, your partner begins to cry and have emotion, encourage that to come out. Like, look, I've got you, baby. I'm here for you. Just let it out. Like, really being present and encouraging that in the partner rather than, oh, no, the person's crying. I guess we have to stop, right? Like, these larger, even the cervical orgasms are often characterized by tears. Women have, like, screaming, yelling, crying full, wild, crying experiences. And this is fantastic. This is 
better than, you know, 50 therapy sessions, the kind of powerful release and tear orgasms you can have in the vagina way take the place. I mean, therapy has a place, but they're much more powerful than a lot of therapy that you can do because it's yourself. This is your own healing being taking place in your body that you're allowing to emerge and release. And you may not know where the tears are coming from and it doesn't matter. All that matters is that there's some kind of release that the body is saying, hey, now is a good time to let this go. And you just open to it as much as you can. Like I often have a phrase that I say to my male students is if she cries, fuck her harder. <laughs> so like if she's crying during sex, don't stop keep going. Encourage her to cry more. If you're massaging her and she's crying, don't stop. Encourage her to cry more. Keep stimulating those areas until she stops crying, right? Until that, and then go, for, go again, go again and, and allow more to come out. Like that is, you have these golden opportunities of power and it's so rich because this is, these are experiences that are self-generated right? You're not paying someone for this. You're not going to a, a doctor who's telling you what to do. No, your vagina is telling you what to do. Your breasts are telling you what to do. And that is the most important power you can ever cultivate is the information that's coming from yourself, your higher self. Man, can I get an amen? And <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, that's what, that's the work, right? That work to reconnect ourselves to the places in our body, the pieces, the areas that we have disassociated with. And I think that that also bridges this idea. It, it fosters connection, not only to yourself, you get to reclaim and understand the way that your body works, the things that you like, the things that, how you move and, 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 and the, uh, you know, being able to fully embody your soma. But it also, I think, bridges this idea of being able to connect more deeply with your partner. And as a woman, you know, the, whether or not you've had, uh, you know, any kind of trauma, sexual trauma in, in the context of this discussion, physical or emotional, the conscious choice to say, okay, this is what happened. And now it's my responsibility to, to respond to it in the way that I want and to be able to surrender to the process and trust that your vagina and that your and your body knows how to heal right i think we always think that our our bodies are something we need to manage it with medication or you know we need to behave like our body should behave like the guys bodies do and being able to surrender I think is one of the most beautiful things a woman can lean into. And you had, you had written a blog post around like a, the men's biggest, there was, a, there was like a two-part series, men's biggest turn on and uh, women's biggest turn on. And in the article around the men's biggest turn on, you were talking about this idea of surrender. Can we talk a little, can we kind of build on that and talk about this idea of how a woman can lean in, open up and surrender not only to herself and the healing process that sex and being well fucked uh, can give her, but also in her relationship with her with her partner. Right, surrender to me is the is the 
essence of the archetypal feminine. So if we talk about archetypal masculine and feminine energies, the feminine we think of as open, flowing, surrendered, receptive, and masculine energy is more driven, achieving things out in the world, getting things done. And we both have masculine and feminine energies. Women tend to have more feminine energies. Men tend to have more masculine energies. And for a woman, if say this typical setup of masculine in men, women having feminine energy, that ability to open and surrender, like I said, is really the essence of femininity. And so this is the key to her queendom. This is the way she gets to these cervical orgasms. This is her power. And it's there's even a, a big spiritual correlation, right? Like in to me, sex and spirituality are all about opening to a higher power, surrendering, learning how to put the little self aside or the mind aside and open to a greater source of wisdom and energy. And then that's translated into a partner where, say within the partner, we're really focusing on this surrender. And for the masculine archetype, nothing is more attractive than a woman who is fully open and surrendered and in trust, right? Like the most the things that couples will argue about the most in this sort of dynamic, like male, female, masculine, feminine, is a woman who's like nitpicking and nagging and micromanaging drives a man crazy, right? And turns him off and he will, he'll withdraw. He'll withdraw from playing, you know, being in his masculine self because she's over taking over everything because she doesn't trust him. The constant message that she's giving him is, I don't trust you. I don't trust you to take care of this. I don't trust you to do this properly. So I'm going to have to do it myself. Man just pulls away. And then the woman doesn't want to be there either. She wants to be in a place where he will rise up and take charge and be dominant, be confident, be strong, be directing so that she can be like, ah, oh, I can relax a bit because you've got this. I can feel that you've got this. And I always say that, you know, the magical success of Fifty Shades of Grey, whatever you think about the book or the movies or how they were written, is that the, the reason so many women viscerally, as in got wet <laughs> reading these books, is because it was exemplifying these archetypes of an extreme masculine and an extreme feminine. Here's a man who's dominant, strong, confident, and a woman who's learning to open and to, and to surrender and to like, live in this more feminine place. And it's not that we need to live there all the time, but to create the most electricity and attraction. It's like two negatives repel, two positives repel, two of the same thing repel, but a negative and a positive charge actually attract each other. They are magnetically drawn to each other. And to me, that, that's what these archetypes were saying in that movie and book series, and then in our own relationships when we work to cultivate that. So if a woman practices opening to her partner, trusting her partner, and then that gives him permission to take charge more, to take the lead more. He feels more confident in his position. And the, the most beautiful gift that she can give him, if he's worthy, you know, is to open and surrender and totally give him, give herself to him, knowing that she will be, that she can take care of herself in a way that if she opens herself, if she falls, he will catch her, but she will also catch herself, right? That's what a woman wants to know. If I fall, will you catch me? And so we talk about this cliche of women pushing and testing their men. Fuck yeah, we do that all the time because we want to know, if I fall, will you catch me? If I completely open myself, if I go to these deep, powerful, multi-orgasmic, cervical opening, deep, vulnerable places, will you hold that in a safe container? Will you honor that? 
Will you protect me when I'm feeling vulnerable and open? Will you rise up as the masculine, as that archetype and hold that space, right? Hold that container. And if the answer, if she feels the answer is yes, she will go there. So it's a constant cultivation for both people to open and hit for him to take charge and, you know, and, and, and to, play with these energies within us and it's not to say that when i say these things that women should be in the kitchen at home being feminine and men should be out in the world where it's not that at all women can still be like a superpower career woman but know how to activate more of her feminine so when she comes into contact with her partner she can play that role like i'm a very you know confident person i run a wonderful empire you know i can animate my feminine and my masculine I have a partner who's an alpha male, but I love relationship, you know, like I can easily rise up and take charge. And, <laughs> and sometimes if we're out of balance, I might do that. But for the most part, you know, I allow him to be the alpha and he's earned it because he's a really strong, confident, directed person in the world. And it's like, all right, you've earned that. So I will give this to you. But, you know, it's a constant cultivation within a couple of being aware of these dynamics and then exaggerating them works to everybody's benefit. I love that. I mean, it takes two, right? I mean, for me, the biggest turn on is you say you're going to do something and you follow through on it. Like you show me your integrity, I'll show you my openness, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's sort of how it works. And I, you yeah. know, I mean, that's how I think any, and you know, you're not always there, right? Like, like you were saying, sometimes you get out of balance with things, but um at least for, for my partner and I, you know, sometimes we work it out in the bedroom and then like, you know, order, order, um, is restored. Yes. Order is restored. <laughs> order is restored. Right. Um, so we've been talking about some of the, like, you know, how to essentially have the best sex ever. We've been talking about the importance of having strong genitals. We've been talking about, um, clearing the communication, both with ourselves, right? Like reconnecting with ourselves, reconnecting with our partner. Are there other, um, I hate the word hack. Uh, it's like the etiology of the word. I refuse to use it, but is there, are there any tips? Are there any, um, uh, guideposts that you, uh, would suggest in addition to strong genitals, communication, connection with ourselves in, in order to foster, a, you know, having the best sex life with your partner? I mean, we didn't talk a ton about communication, but, you know, I, I make a distinction between deeper emotional conversations, like I call them relationship feng shui conversations, like addressing outstanding issues in the relationship versus the admin of your life together, right? So I call them connecting dates where the two of you you know, if you're not naturally making time, then you actually schedule time to have a connection date where you talk about your relationship. You talk about, is there anything outstanding in the space? Like I look at a couple, I often use this analogy of a clear pane of glass between the two of you. So you're on one side, your partner's on the other side. And is there any dirt on the glass? Meaning when you have full, open, direct communication with each other, you're being honest with each other, no lies, no sins of omission, then the glass is clean and clear. But the minute you start operating from a place of, oh, I'll tell a white lie here. Oh, I'm going to lie about this. I don't want to hurt their feelings. You start to put mud up on this glass. And over the years, you become, it becomes, you can't even think about these conversations as being glass clearing, that you sit and have talks about, well, what did I 
not say? What, what thing is still bothering me from earlier today or last week or last year or 10 years ago? If it's still sitting there, talk about that. Bring that into the space. What are your dreams for the relationship? What are your mutual goals together in the relationship or in your life together? You're not allowed to talk about work or children or chores. All of that stuff is an admin conversation, right? This is more of the guts and viscera of your relationship. So that's one thing is having regular clearing conversations with your partner or having what I call a clean as you go policy. And some people might naturally do this, most don't, but that you're constantly just bringing those things to the table, right? And speaking about them and clearing them with your partner. And then the other thing I would say is regular sex. And if you're not having sex at least three times a week, then I would schedule it. And I recommend that people schedule at least a weekly two to three hour sex date, meaning this is a non-negotiable, set in stone, not dinner, not a walk in the park, not a movie, just you having sex. And this could be a number of things like full body massage and oral sex and manual sex and new toys you want to explore and intercourse. Once you get really advanced, yes, you could have two to three solid hours of intercourse. But to start with, we won't, we'll, you know, put a mix of things together. And that, you know, I've had clients who were professionals, like say a dentist, actually two, like a dentist and a lawyer who had their Thursday afternoons never worked, you know, from basically 2 p.m. to like the rest of the day, they were out of the office, no appointments available, never, ever, ever saw people or did anything on that afternoon. They went home and they had sex with their wives, right? Like, or you go to a hotel or you arrange childcare, whatever it takes. So an extended sex date where you don't have to worry about being interrupted. You don't have to worry, oh, we're nearly out of time. You just have all the time in the world to be with each other. And then I would recommend two other sex dates throughout the week. And so I'm a big proponent of morning sex. People often at the end of the night are like, I'm too tired. I've just had a whole day with the kids. I've been working. I'm exhausted. I get it. You're not wrong. <laughs> you probably are exhausted. And so then the remedy is having it in the morning. Get up 30 minutes early, set your alarm, and start your day off with a bang. And you can, <laughs> right, like the, the scientific benefits of orgasm and sexual connection, the neurotransmitter highs and hits that you get, the hormonal highs, are equivalent to meditation, exercise, and coffee all in one. And so you really are starting your, your day out with a high. And so that's my recommendation. If your kids get up at 6, you get up at 5.30 or 5.15 and commit right? The people who have the most dramatic results in their intimate lives commit. So I had a couple who came to one of my Bali retreats a few years ago, and they were both on their second marriage. They had been in dismal, sexless first marriages that lasted 10, 15 years, and both vowed that in their second marriage, they would be different. They would prioritize the relationship. They would prioritize sex. So they met each other, both with this vision, like attracts like, and they had five children between them. They both worked in high-powered jobs. He was the CEO of a large company. She was in upper-level management, and they had sex every single day. So I do not accept your excuses of, we're too tired, we have kids, we work, we work really hard. Yeah, a lot of people do. And a lot of people commit and make this a priority to place their relationship first. And there's a bit of a reframe that I want to you know, go talk to around that is people think, oh, I'm too tired to have sex. Actually, sex is going to give you energy. If you're feeling tired, 
go have sex because if you have sex in the way that I teach it, which is using breathing techniques and connection techniques to feel energized after sex, I ask a, a large barometric question to people. Does sex make you feel energized, rejuvenated, deeply pleasured, ecstatic, and like it changed your life? If no, then you're doing it wrong. And so I teach people how to feel all of those things after sex so that indeed, if you're even having period cramps, the best remedy is to go have sex. Sex is a pain reliever. Yeah. Sex is a mind clearer. It makes you smarter. It improves your memory. It lifts your mood. All of these things. So every excuse you have about not feeling right will be remedied by having sex. But again, if you're having the more gourmet version of sex that I talk about, rather than just sort of like a pump dump schlump version of sex that perhaps most people default to, then you're right. That probably will make you feel more tired afterward. Do you have sex to get more conscious and elevate yourself? Or do you have sex to put yourself to sleep? Because I'm teaching people how to do the former. Wow. That is incredible. I, I love everything that you've said. You have, um, you have a salon coming up soon that I want you to tell people about the uh, Well-Fucked Woman Salon. Yes, this is my signature salon, How to Be a Well-Fucked Woman. And this is all about these things I've been saying, the art of surrender, right? That is the big theme of the salon. How do you occupy your feminine energy out in the world and in bed, right? So that you can access these deeper vaginal orgasms. How do you occupy it in your world? Like in our world, we really put a value on masculine energy, this idea of like getting out there, working really hard, getting shit done. And that's actually very exhausting for most women, where for most women, if you can activate your feminine energy, you can actually magnetize things to you. You can attract things to you rather than having to go out there and work really hard and exhaust yourself and get adrenal fatigue. Like Those are symptoms of being overextended in the masculine rather than in the feminine. So when I want you know, to achieve success in my world, I fuck myself a lot. I have sex with my partner a lot. I pleasure myself. I use my chain egg, I exercise, I eat really well, I surf a lot, all of those things cultivate such a beautiful power and energy that I attract things to me being in that place. So that's a huge focus in the salon. We talk about how to clear sexual blockages. We discuss that. There's a whole area about breast care and breast massage. And then techniques to harvest your sexual energy. I talked about just briefly the idea of gourmet sex versus junk food sex. Is your sex life elevating you, energizing you? And I'll teach you how to make it do that through these different breathing, Taoist, and tantric techniques. And then we talk about also the sex and money connection because sex, money, and creativity are all second chakra issues. And if people are operating at a deficiency with their sexual energy, their creative output will be low and often their financial output will be low. And one of the magical things that happens is that the fastest way to get rich is to have more sex is what I say because but the right kind of sex, this gourmet multi-dimensional sex because you're you're energizing that second chakra, you're occupying more of your own message out in the world, your creative power increases and then you attract more abundance to you. So that's what the salon is all about. Plus I give you my life-changing metaphysical techniques for oral sex and hand jobs and deep throating and anal sex because I look at these as transcendent sex acts. And so I show you how to make these like spiritual life-changing things rather than just things that are like on the list of a porn shoot. I love that. And we will have the links 
in the show notes for the salon and all the YouTube videos that we've been talking about. I'm going to link out to your blog. I'm going to link out to everything so that people who want to find uh, who want to find you, who want to sign up for the salon can, and can do so. Um, I would also, um, I love your Instagram account. It is so beautiful and creative. So I would also recommend uh, people who want to follow you and, and get to know you and what you're about uh, to follow you on Instagram, which I'll have in the show notes as well. Thank you. That would be great. This has been such a treat. It has been so lovely to speak to you and to really unpack a lot of the ways that you think about sex and the way that you think about it as a tool for self-actualization. It's just been, it's been gourmet. It's been wonderful. So thank you so much. And I'm really, uh, really excited to hear the, uh, the feedback on this, uh, on this episode as well. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and for having this conversation with your people. Not everyone is willing to go there. And it's such a massive missing piece in the health conversation in the wellness world. So kudos to you for taking it on. Thank you, Kim. Let's talk about sex, baby. Oh, wait, we just did that. Ah, that was my joke. Okay, so if you've gotten this far in the conversation, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Kim as much as I had discussing it with her. Uh, such a joy. And I would love, I would love to know what you thought of it. I mean, she presents some phil- philosophical underpinnings around female sexuality and how we can actually use our vaginas to alchemize trauma and to use it as a tool of self-actualization. So I would love, 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 love to hear what you thought of it. And she is actually starting a salon, she calls them. So these are online courses. The one coming up is called The Well-Fucked Woman. I mean, what a name, The Well-Fucked Woman. And if you are interested in finding out more about it, I have included a link in the show notes for you to check it out. I'm actually going to be joining it. So we can do it together. Um, So if you are down with that, uh, go and check out the show notes for the link there, and that will bring you right to it. And you can check it out if it's for you. Great. If not, great as well. And yeah, like I was saying, would love to hear what you thought of this episode. I really have to thank you, the listener, for bringing her work to my attention. And now she's here. She she explained everything in a way that really resonated with me and I'm actually going to take her course. So if you want to do it with me, check out the link in the show notes and hope that you have a great week. See you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you. And now for the obligatory legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only, and the advice recommendations we discuss do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare provider's advice, treatment, or care. In the consumption of this podcast, there is no doctor-patient relationship formed, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. The information and opinions shared on this podcast are not intended to be a substitute for primary care, diagnosis, or treatment. 
This episode is brought to you by yours truly, Dr. Stephanie Asima and Leverage. Leverage handles all production, creates the images that you see on my social media and takes out all my awkward pauses. They are my secret magic bullet. You can visit them at getleverage.com forward slash better.